everybody. Welcome to another episode of Driving to the Basket, now with better production values. I am Mike. I am here with Tommy and Dante. We are recording this right after the loss against the Philadelphia 76ers on Saturday night. And we are heading into the late stages of the season. Uh, actually, as of the time of this recording, there are eight days more uh, prior to the season finale against the Miami Heat. And of course, the thought on our minds and the thought uh, I would imagine on many of your minds as well is lose. Lose these four games, please. <laughs> um, we've uh, d- gotten to the point of the schedule, of course, where the the tankathon, the tank battle, uh, the positioning for, for highest draft odds has gotten very close. Uh, the Pistons are about one game ahead in that race of several teams. And, and things could just uh, turn a little bit pear-shaped as far as lottery odds go if the Pistons win another game. Uh, looking at uh, games against, uh, I believe, the Bulls, the Timberwolves, which is the real must-lose, uh, the Heat, and I don't remember. Who was the fourth? You guys Nuggets. remember? The Nuggets. Yeah, it's Denver, okay. right? Yeah. <clears throat> gotcha. So... Yeah, coming off of uh, of a win against uh, the Memphis Grizzlies, which I'm, I'm sure was pretty unexpected. The Grizzlies really lost that one more than the Pistons won it. And, uh, you know, yeah, so that's it's, it's pretty much the next four games. We'll decide where the Pistons fall in the lottery. And uh, currently the Pistons are tied with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar with the draft lottery rules, teams that uh, are tied basically is just decided between them by coin flip. I'm not sure how it works for multiple teams in the same uh, with the same record, but uh, right now the Pistons still have the you know still have the best possible odds at a top four pick, and uh, yeah, whatever. We'll talk about uh, we'll have plenty of time to talk about draft lottery odds. So, uh, any thoughts you guys have on the on the remaining schedule? I have one thought, and it's lose at all costs. I don't think that uh, anybody can really disagree with that, and I think the at, you know the point we're at in the season right now, it's um, everybody's like minded, everybody's in lockstep. Pistons fans know what we've got to do, and what we've got to do is go out there and absolutely embarrass ourselves for the rest of the season. It hurts to say. I mean, it hurts to say because you never you never want to see a team go out and, and and have to do that. And I will say. A credit to Detroit Weaver, the Pistons definitely have emphasized the youth and emphasized, you know, not putting out too good of a product. Uh, you know, that'll that'll risk risk wins. The Pistons have had terrible, terrible, you know, not good luck at all. We'll put it that way. Uh, you know, over the last month, as far as as far as winning some games that were again more just because the opponent had injuries or the opponent played terribly or whatever else. But you know, you never want to say lose, lose, lose. But uh, as much as you want to say, oh, this team should fight for every game. It's it's just the the notion of sentiment and uh, and and culture uh, over the practicals. Uh, I mean, those are both important, but over the practicals, I mean, the practicals of is the practicals that getting a getting a high draft pick in this in this draft would be very 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 nice. Absolutely, absolutely. And listen, the the lottery ping pong balls there they don't they don't care about moral victories, you know. And as nice as it would be to say, oh, look, the young guys, they're building a winning culture. They're this, they're that. Yeah, it's nice in theory. But at the end of the day, it's it's exactly as you put it, Mike. You know, it's there, there are practical implications at play here. And if I could just really quickly, I've seen some people, um, you know, I, I don't want to say defending the win, but I've seen some people say, 
some people on Twitter say things like, oh, how can you blame Corey Joseph? How can you blame Wayne Ellington? You know, they're just going out there and doing their job. And obviously, I, players are going to go out there and they're going to try their best. Um, but it's, it's equally true that those guys going out there and trying their best might have very real negative implications for the future of this team. So I'm not sure what else the Pistons can do. They, they really have committed to the youth movement. They don't seem to be trying to win. I mean, we've all seen the Josh Jackson right tooth injury report. That was the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. But <laughs> the team is cognizant of the fact that they need to lose games. I, I, I would almost guarantee that. So the rest is up to you know, how these other teams that we're playing against decide to perform on a given night. And it's scary to kind of put our future in in other teams' hands. But at the end of the day, there's not much you can do about it. We're just going to have to hope for the best. Yeah, there was a stretch there where we won a few games in a row that we were like four and six at one point. And does, does, I don't know about you, but does it feel like too little too late at this point? Like, obviously, the Rockets are just unbelievably terrible. I don't think anybody expected them to be that bad going into the season. They were like three and 33 or something like that at one point uh, they had a stretch that, that was that bad they lost 20 straight I don't know that it's worth it to sacrifice the culture stuff because I, I do believe in it now like two years ago when we were talking about you know Andre Drummond Reggie Jackson Blake Griffin and people were talking about we needed to establish a winning culture was, I always felt like that was just such garbage I never believed in that but this group feels a lot more legitimate it feels like they're building something meaningful here so in that sense I, I trust it a lot more and I see the value in it. So I don't know about you guys, but I have questions on it. And I want to ask these now as opposed to after the season, because there's still this level of uncertainty. I think that makes them interesting to think about. So I don't know if you guys have any other thoughts on like the remaining schedule, but if not, let me know. No, I can go. no thoughts on the schedule, but on the, on the um, winning culture front, Tommy, I agree that a winning culture is not some made up idea. It's very, very real. And, and you see that at, you know, in all the different leagues of professional sports that losing perpetuates losing, winning perpetuates winning. And, and, th- and that's a very real notion. But do I think winning culture, quote unquote, is going to be established based on winning or losing these next six games? Not really. But I do know that it can almost guarantee us a top five pick if we lose all of them. So when we're weighing the options there, I would much rather lose. Oh, yeah, I just don't be- see winning culture on a team with Drummond. That's all. I- oh, goodness. Like, uh, Stan Van Gundy built a team that, that, that he had. Uh, it's just like this team was the opposite of uh, of a good culture of any kind, really. And and I would say Van Gundy was really at the root of that. But uh, what I think can be said is that, yeah, nobody likes to go out there and lose. But like, I, I don't think that the next four games are really going to make a difference one way or another in that. And, uh, and next season... In terms of culture, can, yeah. Yeah, next season we can go back to actually rooting for the Pistons to win. For, for sure. me... Yeah, as much as I have been uh, pretty jocular about the, you know, about rooting for the Pistons to lose, for me it's been a miserable experience, not because they have been losing, because that's a necessity. Just watching games and living in anxiety about, oh my goodness, are the Pistons actually going to win this and what would the implications be? I hate counterintuitive to what being a sports fan is, but (laughs) that's, that's what happens when you look at the big picture. Yeah, it's like it was it was, you know, it started out as kind of like a novelty and then it was still funny for a while. And like like maybe 15 games ago, I just got really tired of it. And uh, well, I had been growing more tired of it. And now I just uh, I just want it to be over and for it to have gone right. (laughs) And it's like it's like I don't think I'm not happy. I don't think anybody else is happy that we just basically have to have to wait and wait and just hope that the Pistons will manage to lose four more times down the season. Mm -hmm. And that's not what you want to be doing at the end of the season. No, no, but hopefully it's this season and that's it. Then we don't have to worry about it moving forward. 
yeah, I think I think it will be this season uh, only. But uh, but that that's a topic we can talk about uh, later on the show or in, uh, in another uh, future episode. Uh, we're definitely going to be doing a lot of of pre draft content, uh, quite a bit. And of course, the lottery isn't until uh, it's July, right? No, it's. Uh, it's no, like mid June or late June. No, the lottery. The lottery is, I believe, June twenty second. Oh, uh, I was just testing to see if you guys knew. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, <laughs> uh, but the lottery tends to be right at the beginning of the conference finals, right near the beginning of the conference finals, and, and that's going to hold this season. Uh, so yeah, right before we launch into the rest of the episode, which is pretty much just just going to be a discussion on a potpourri of topics. Uh, i uh, just like to thank those of you who uh, who gave us feedback lately. It's always great to hear from listeners. We appreciate all of you. Uh, and and it's it's very helpful for us to know how we can continue to improve uh, as podcasters and, and give you guys more entertaining content. And, you know, no matter which direction this podcast ultimately ends up taking, it's we're always going to keep it a very listener-focused show. So... Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for those of us. Uh, excuse me. Thanks for those of you who have uh, who have written in, so to speak. And uh, we uh, we hope to continue creating content you enjoy. All right, uh, moving on, Tommy. Why don't you get us kicked off here? I thought it would be fun. Like we're all so stressed out about how the season's going to end, and there's this level of uncertainty. I think that's kind of like the opportune time to ask some of these, I think, interesting questions, and. Mike, I told you one of them, and at the time, like this was like half an hour ago, you didn't know the answer, so I'm just going to pose it right now. And then, Dante, I don't know if you have a knee-jerk reaction. If you want to go first, by all means. But at this point in the year, the way things in the standings are, uh, would you rather that we didn't sign Jeremy Grant in the offseason? Everything else is the same. You know, They're still trying to compete. They have Isaiah Stewart, Sadiq Bey, Killian Hayes, but they don't sign Jeremy Grant. Maybe that keeps us in contention for like the first overall or the, the worst odds or worst record, best odds. Would you pass on Jeremy Grant and just keep my, everything else the same? My knee has jerked. My knee has jerked <laughs> for sure. Okay. I, I, I feel like, so you, you said that Mike didn't have an answer for this? He didn't know. He didn't? Okay. Well, no, I, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm waiting on you. I'll, I'll weigh in afterward. Okay. All right. Let me give my, my – so my knee-jerk reaction is I absolutely disagree that having Jeremy Grant on this team is a bad thing. If that's that, – that appears to be the implication of the question, right, is that, oh, if we didn't sign Jeremy, we'd have we'd have won a, a bit fewer games and therefore we'd have better lottery odds. Look, the, the fact of the matter is this. Jeremy Grant at certain points during this season was playing at an all-star level. Um, he's still relatively young. I believe he's only 27. And I think he has room to improve. And we've talked about Jeremy ad nauseum um, more so earlier on in the season than lately because he's been resting a lot. But I don't think the value of a young-ish um, all-star caliber player, as in he has the potential to play up to be an all-star caliber player, um, I don't think that can be understated. You know, And obviously we've gotten into as well his reasons for being here are far more than just he wanted to be the number one option on a bad team and kind of prove his worth a little bit. Look, he's locked in for three years, and I'm going to enjoy every bit of those three years because, number one, he's a great guy. Number two, he appears to be a great role model. And number three, when he's on, he is he just scorches the other team, man. Like, he is an absolute joy to watch. He's a lot of fun. And I think next year, and Mike kind of alluded to this earlier, that – the tanking kind of ends this year, and I agree. This team has kept it competitive 
Um, not every single game, but most games this year. We're not getting blown out very often. And next year, when we're actually trying to win, presumably, I think we're going to see the true value of Jeremy Grant. So knee-jerk reaction, I would sign Jeremy 100 times out of 100, for sure. I think he's exceeded everybody's expectations, probably even Weaver's expectations. So I'm happy with it, and three or four less wins doesn't change that, in my opinion. I think most people will agree with you. Yeah, for me, it's uh, I'm so focused upon the draft that uh, like basically the, the way I see it, and I, I think this is just a, this is a given in the NBA these days. You have to have that that really overpowering score in order if you're going to win a championship, even if you're really white, you know, reliably going to make it to the conference finals. You have to have that superstar overpowering score. And I'm most focused. I mean, I appreciate what Troy Weaver has done so far. Uh, this team has a good start. I think. We all agree that it's mostly just a good start, though. This team really needs, uh, as any team does, this team really needs that core cornerstone piece. Uh, the guy who's, who's going to go out there and lead the offense and, and really just be this guy who can create offense in high volume and do a great job of it. And, and that's uh, what I'm focused on, perhaps maybe a little bit to a fault. I, I don't want to minimize the... Uh, you know what what Weaver has done as far as the the assemblage of young players uh, to, you know he has created thus far, which has been impressive, and that's very important too. Uh, but this is a question I I would really lean ninety percent towards saying yes, it was a good thing to sign Jeremy Grant. The but this is a question that'll be more easily answered with the benefit of quite a bit of hindsight, as in. Uh, like hindsight's, you know, piece of hindsight number one, where do the Pistons fall in the draft lottery? And uh, associated piece of hindsight number two, uh, if the Pistons fell or the players, you know, there were there were guys they would have wanted who were drafted earlier. And, you know, if they were going to get that with those odds uh, and, and those players, like, uh, they turn out to be great and far better than the pick, significantly better than the pick the Pistons get. It's like, okay, well, with that benefit of enormous hindsight, then probably would have been better to not sign Grant. Uh, yep. At this point, though, with I mean, with, with where the Pist- Pistons are in the standings, and who knows, my answer could really change if like they win two of their final four games and end up like eighth in the <laughs> in the standings, which I think is still technically possible. Um, at my 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 answer could conceivably change and become, wow, this is a disaster. And and that's what I think we were talking about earlier in the season is is that Weaver was conceivably playing with fire. By, by making the signings he did. So I can't really answer it yet. I mean, I really tend toward yes, but yeah, that's that's the best I can say on it. That's exactly why I asked this right now, because we don't know where the Pistons end up. As they as they stand right now, the Pistons have, what, a 20% chance of dropping to sixth overall. And even then, like, we really want a top four pick in this draft. So when you look at the lottery odds, if you just want a top four pick and you really, really want a top four pick, it doesn't matter if you finish first or third, but I still think there is like disastrous implications between falling to from fifth or sixth to eighth, you know, overall Uh, in this year where we're supposed to kind of ideally with the amount of talent that we see in this draft, like you can get your, your number one score. You know, there's probably three or four guys in the top six that I see having the potential to be, you know, lead offensive creators and offensive players. You know, there's these guys fall all throughout the draft, but 50% of all stars are taking in the top five, and then the other 50% are six through 50 or six through 60, rather. So, 
don't know, if you want to give yourself the best chance, technically you should be shooting for that top five. And it's a calculated risk. And it's, again, it is like Troy Weaver has tried to, we're clearly trying to tank, you know, these, all these different players are resting. The injury reports have suddenly gotten a lot longer, but I, I worry about the idea of fans at the end of the season or after the draft lottery thinking it's too little too late. And that's kind of where this Jeremy Grant question comes in because they, they brought guys in who are really good for the culture of this team. And Jeremy Grant is certainly part of that. I was reading over Omari Sankofa's uh, AMA recently, just earlier today. And this is when Griffin and Rose were still on the team. He said that Griffin, Rose, and Jeremy command the most respect. So we have a guy who's young, great for the culture, and is a leader. And that's incredibly valuable. But at the same time, we don't have that one A score that Mike, you mentioned. You need that. Yeah, you absolutely need that. that. Yeah, you need that no ifs, ands, or buts. I mean, one thing I think needs to go into this answer is that it's impossible for us uh, with, with our current level of information to know exactly what the impact of any player is in the locker room. And that's, that's really an intangible, yeah. uh, you know, who sets the tone and, uh, and, and so on and so forth. So, uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, this is a little bit of an A side, but, uh, they're really at the start of the season, the Pistons projected as one of the very few tankers in the league. Uh, pretty much every team was going in as expecting to compete. And you had three of Three of the teams with whom, or actually, you know, all but one of the teams with which the Pistons are really competing at this very late stage for a high pick, uh, and then that team is is Cleveland, uh, went in and was undone by injuries. Like uh, Houston was 500 before Christian Wood went down. I mean, I think there was more to it than just Wood going down because that team went into the, it was just awful, terrible. But uh, yeah, they, they were on 500 at that point. Uh, I, I think if he stayed in the lineup, I can't think that they would be in this position right now. Uh, Minnesota was going in with with a with the core of Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, and Malik Beasley. Uh, I think the four of them have yet to play a single game together. I mean, they're they're doing better now, but and, and Edwards has improved over the course of the season. But just as soon as D'Lo came back, Beasley, who was you know positioning himself to be like a you know probably a top three guy and most improved player voting potentially. Uh, went out that, that that exact day for the rest of the season. Oklahoma City lost shy. Uh, I always butcher his name. Uh, Gilgius Alexander, I believe, is how it's pronounced. Uh, one of those rare, I think, is going to be a superstar. One of those 1A guys that you find outside the top five. And and then, of course, Orlando, who lost Isaac, lost Fultz. And everything went in the, in the trash. So... Um, yeah, if that hadn't happened, I mean, the Pistons would just be probably competing with Cleveland at this point, nobody else. So that, that, that further complicates the answer. Yeah. I think one thing we're failing to, all three of us are kind of failing to consider with this Grant question, is that it's not really operating in the realm of black and white. Um, because of the nature of the draft lottery itself, it's kind of you know intellectually disingenuous to say that, um, okay, if we didn't have Jeremy we would get a higher pick. And then if, but because we do have Jeremy, we're going to get a lower pick there. Listen, Houston has been so horrible that I'm not convinced that a season full of the Pistons without Jeremy Grant would actually finish below them. Um, they'd have a better shot too, for sure. They might be closer to them in the standings. You know, we might be uh, one or two games back instead of three or four games back or whatever we are, but I'm not convinced that 
not having Jeremy versus having Jeremy has made such a significant difference that it's going to drastically impact the future. Now, it's like you said, Mike, too, um, you can only really fully answer this question in hindsight, but, but let's be honest, if we take the worst case scenario and we fall to number six, it's like, okay, you are presuming that we finish with the second worst record, right? Let's say we lose the rest of our games. We drop to number six, worst case scenario. Well, we're number six and we have Jeremy Grant. And there's a chance that we could have not signed Jeremy Grant and still finish with the number six pick anyway. So at that point, I'll take the talent and the leadership on the team, if that makes sense. Because you, you can't look at it as a binary. We don't know for a fact that not having Jeremy would result in a higher pick. Um, we just don't know how that's going to work out. So I think when assessing this answer, it's kind of, you know, maybe it's a little safer to err on the side of I'll take the young-ish, all-star, capable player versus not having them when we're so low in the standings anyway, if that makes sense. I get you. And the complication in, in discussing any of this really is that, <laughs> like, the Pistons could have, you know, like one three more games or however many more games and ended up in ninth. And then suddenly they jumped to number one and you could say, ha ha, I told you so. When, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. When in reality you just got lucky. So, so, I mean, you could conceivably like the Pistons could get, uh, could get, again, they, they could have dropped the 10th and, you know, have Jeremy Grant on the team and you get number one. And then you could say, Oh, well, it worked out fine. It was good. I to sign Grant, but really it was a matter of chance. You know, it's a matter of the lottery balls falling as they did. So I think that that makes it a more difficult question to answer. Yeah, and the crazy thing, think about this. This is the stuff that the GM has to decide before the season, you know. Like when we talked like two years ago, me and uh, you and me, Mike, like, wow, this is like when Griffin was still on the team and I was just like, this team is going nowhere. They need to tank. I had I laid out like this team needs to – Lose for three years. Ideally, in that time, you've hit on the lottery a couple times. Uh, you have your core of the future, and you're starting to sign rookie extensions and free agents because hopefully free agents will see the potential of your team and they want to come here. You know That's not the approach that Troy Weaver's taken here. He's kind of he's trying to compete, and he's clearly trying to be a bad team, but you can't really have both. And that and you could look at it as like, yeah, finishing with a second-worst record or second, yeah, second-worst record and looking this polished as a team, having this solid of a foundation is fantastic. You know, you look at the lottery odds, they're flattened. Maybe you're like, it's a calculated risk. I'm sure that the way that the new lottery odds work, that probably has been a factor in like how hard t teams are willing to tank because now oh, you could, you're the worst team and you could, you could be the team that like puts out a garbage product like OKC is currently doing and you could still drop all the way to fifth. And then you're in a really bad spot, potentially. This is a good draft class. It's still a pretty deep draft at the top. It's not always going to be like that. You know, there are a lot of factors. And that's why I just thought this was an interesting question because it's not what I had envisioned uh, two years ago. And I, I don't think that Troy Weaver made a mistake doing what he's done. But it's just going to come down to luck, essentially. And yeah. oh, that's scary to me. It will come down to luck. And, I mean, part of me is like, well – I wish we had just been the worst team in the league just so, you know, you could spare me the anxiety of, you know, of lottery day. But the fact is that this is more like a top four draft now. At, at the beginning of the season, it was very much considered a top five draft until Yusau Kuminga operated in the G League. And he really got with a lot of talent, but a lot of question marks. 
may not even be the consensus number five uh, overall pick, depending on who picks at number five. So, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, in the end, we'll all live or die as we get to number six and hope the Pistons don't get called. And then number five and hope the Pistons don't get called. And if they don't get called at number four, that's when I'll start feeling good. Sure. Uh, Because I don't, I don't think, uh, I mean, well, granted, whatever, if they don't get called to number five, I'll feel all right. But, uh, based on, uh, and, and Tommy has been doing far more uh, draft research at at this stage than, than Don's or I've said quite a few times, I think in this podcast, I don't actually do, do draft research. Well, I do some research, but I don't really get into the deep research until uh, after the season. Uh, I don't really like quite so much what I see from Jalen Suggs as far as going forward with the Pistons, but, uh, you know, yeah, we can talk about that later. But yeah, that, that's basically what it'll be. And uh, I'm, I'm going to have to think about how to keep my nerves steady during draft lottery nights. Sure. Like sure, how? Yeah. <laughs> like if how? Yeah. Yeah, if you uh, want, we can move on to the the other question. And I think well, it's a little bit nicer. I actually had one more thought, if you guys don't mind. Um, on Go this. for it. I'll, I'll give it quick. And th- this is kind of derivative of, uh, I really liked what you said, Tommy, about the polish that we're showing. And we still have the second worst record anyway. And that statement kind of kind of got the gears turning a little bit. And I was thinking, and I became a little more confident in my answer about Jeremy, because if what I had previously stated holds true, that Houston was going to be garbage no matter what, and we had a very, very, very low chance of finishing with a worse record than them, um, it, it's going to boil down to luck with the lottery. And whether we have Jeremy or we don't have Jeremy, it was always going to boil down to luck. So if we're assuming that the best we were going to do is the second best odds, you get the second best odds with Jeremy Grant on the team or you get the second best odds without him on the team. Um, That's the reality that we're in right now. And I'll take him on the team given the odds that we've already got, if that makes sense. And it's going to boil down to luck, like I said, but it would have boiled down to luck without him as well. So I think that's important to consider. No, I think our answer might be a little bit different if the Pistons managed to win two games, though, and end up... <laughs> end up oh, far, yeah, far I could, I could be, I could <laughs> be just knows? losing my mind in a couple nights from now. But as it stands with the second-worst record... Well, who knows? Yeah, you know. We, you know we, could drop, we could drop to number eight and end up in the number one overall pick, and then it's like, oh, okay, who cares? It's like, that's like just the essence of this question. That's what makes it, I think, a little bit more mm-hmm. difficult. But mm-hmm. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than bad. Well, I feel like I'm in my stats yeah. class. Yeah. So what's uh, what's <laughs> number two here, Tony? Who do you think is the most valuable rookie to the rebuild? Mike, I, I want to hear what you have to say, because I think, Dante, you went first that other time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Mike, take it away, who Mike. do you think? Uh, at this point, I would say it's Killian Hayes, just because he's got the highest ceiling in the team, and the Pistons really need that ball handler of the future. Uh, I mean, I know that changes. If you have – depending on who you draft. Like, if you – basically, if, if Killian pans out – then, then exactly who you draft between, say, Jalen Green and Evan Mobley, and I know that's that's an open question for a lot of people as to who who between the two is going to be the better player. Then it matters less. And uh, you know, Killian, if if he develops properly as a guy who will be able to play next to pretty much anybody, you know, even be that's Jalen Suggs uh, or you know, certainly Kate Cunningham, who can, of course, Kate, you can plug into any team, and at this point, it looks like he'll do well. So. But I, I think he's got the highest ceiling among the rookies. Uh, we talked last episode. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go into it again uh, about what what he'll need to do in order to achieve that ceiling. And and you know I, I kind of have my concern. Actually, my, my biggest concern lately is 
like is, is seeing him move in a way that slightly favors the hip that he injured, but who knows, maybe that'll go away. It's just the, the, the concern you really have is that uh, uh, labral tears in the hip can really stick around and really cause problems. And it looks like he avoided the worst of it, but we'll see. But that that's not a here nor there. So I would say it's Killian just just because of the ceiling, which I think is higher than than that of uh, of the other rookies. There's this kind of like little voice in my head that says, "Well, look at Saban Lee, who's a hard worker with good, you know, with pretty darn good court vision and is really athletic, and could maybe develop into, uh, I don't know, like this is just purely based on body type, maybe that Donovan Mitchell sort, like you know, small, explosive, and, and strong, and, and I think Saban will hit the weight room and get better over the in that capacity over the summer." And so who knows, maybe he ends up really being one of those second round picks who really surprises you. But at this point, I'd have to call it Hayes. Uh, Bay, I've been clearing my thoughts about Bay. I think he'll be a good starter in the league. And I think he'll be a good guy for the Pistons. I like him a lot. I think Isaiah Stewart, I like him a lot as well. Be a good starter. I don't think either of those guys has the ceiling uh, that, that Killian does. So I'd call him uh, the most important rookie, uh, you know, really pretty much without hesitation. Yeah, that's fair. That's kind of that's pretty much what I expected. And Dante, I want to hear what you what you think. Um, I, I would say um, I would say that I fall in line with a lot of what Mike said. But again, I I think most people say Killian, and that might be falling victim to the idea that you know, quote unquote, pro ready uh, players coming in through the NBA draft are not going to deviate much from from what they are in their first year. And if 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 we're just looking at it objectively, Sadiq has been the best rookie. He's the best player out of the three. I think Stewart's a good player. I think Sadiq's a better player as it stands right now. Um, and so you could say if the question is framed in a way where it's like, well, who's the most important rookie? I think you could say Sadiq and you wouldn't be wrong just based on the fact that he's the best player. And I think he's got the best shot of being a long-term valuable player for any NBA team. Um, but the fact of the matter is that, yeah, Killian was the highest pick. And he was the highest pick because he possesses these traits that, if fully developed to their maximum potential, will elevate him to a player that is going to be a super important cog in winning a championship, right? Like if Killian's scoring starts to improve and his facilitating improves even a little bit, then you've got a really, really, really good player. Um, certainly a top 10 point guard with potential to grow even from there, maybe even a top five point guard if everything comes together. And in that instance, yeah, Killian would be the best, but I sort of struggle with how the question is framed. And I'm saying this a little bit to play devil's advocate because I don't want to give the same answer across the board, but it is important to consider um, that Sadiq is the best of the three of them right now. And I don't think it should be discounted just because of the fact that he's perceived to have a lower ceiling. You know, I, I am curious to know if, um, for whatever reason, let's say Troy had a fun night with his friends. He got super, super drunk. And then he texted the every GM in the league in a group chat saying, hey, the three first round picks are up for trade. I feel like Sadiq might have the most value right now um, because I don't know that NBA execs and NBA GMs and NBA coaches, I don't know if they value perceived ceiling as much as they value who they know is a good player. So even though I agree that it's probably Killian when you consider every factor, um, you know, it's it's. I think it's an interesting question, and you're probably not wrong, no matter which way you go. Uh, I'd say just to weigh in real quick, I would say that when it comes to what what you said about NBA executives calling and, and whom they would value the most is, is Bay. I would say for sure, uh, in part just because when it comes to Stewart, I mean Bay is just placed in a more valuable position and uh, can just better is better able to contribute right now. When it comes to Killian, he might Bay might be more valuable just because he projects as a guy who can. Uh, who could be a decent starter on a championship team, whereas Killian 
you know, like it or not, still does that bust potential at this point. Uh, Bay seems to have uh, established himself in his first season as a guy with a respectable NBA floor, like a very respectable NBA floor. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, we've completely left Dave. Uh, you know, the, Dave is the, <laughs> is, uh, is the, is the nickname of Dave Ada Servetus. I think I mispronounced his first name, but uh, we'll actually talk about him a little bit later on this episode. So, all right, Tommy, what are your yeah. thoughts? I pose this question. I'm, 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 it's funny to me that you brought up the way that it was phrased because I phrased it very carefully. I didn't want to say, who do you think has the highest trade value or who do you think is the best player? I wanted to say, who do you think is the most valuable player or rookie to the rebuild? Because I was thinking about this. And I think it's Isaiah Stewart, and I'm kind of happy that we all pick different players. And you might be thinking, well, his numbers aren't the best. He's gotten a lot better as a starter. Like His percentages are so much better <laughs> Uh, since he has been put into the starting lineup, he's we, we know we, we've talked about it at length. He's rapidly improved and it's been so much fun to watch. But this is going to sound strange because I just argued against it. But the culture of this team has benefited so much, I think, from Isaiah Stewart being out there. There was a quote from Killian, and I'm just going to paraphrase it because I don't remember the exact wording. But it was like, we all look up to Isaiah because he works so hard. Isaiah does not take plays off and he does not stop running if he's just walking onto the court like every other player walks onto the court they'll walk to their their spot on the floor Isaiah does not do that if his teammate falls down and Isaiah's on the opposite end of the court he goes and gets him and he jogs there he's like with well, the first guy there and I love that there were a couple times tonight where Joel Embiid like after something frustrating happened he just he was tired and that's fine obviously Joel Embiid is playing at an MVP level they beat the Pistons pretty handily which a lot of teams haven't done this year but I just love the way Isaiah Stewart plays. And not to bring up Drummond again, but it's just the antithesis of that. Because Drummond, one bad thing happens, head down. And that was the culture of that team. That was why the, that team never convinced me they were ever going to be winners. Isaiah Stewart just, he is a convincing winner because he tries so hard. And even though athletically I've talked plenty on here about how I think his, his ceiling might just be a bench guy, He's changed my mind. He's or he's 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 made me open to the idea that maybe he's more than that. And it's not just coming from his play. It's coming from what he does to his teammates because I think he makes them play harder. And I think for a team that has been trying to establish a new culture and I think successfully has, that is incredibly valuable. So I I worded it exactly that way because I wanted I guess to to mention that, but I'm just I just love Isaiah Stewart's game. Like nobody plays harder than that kid. And if you watch other team broadcasts, they all notice it. And that's going to be incredibly valuable for the Pistons. That's mm-hmm. an interesting way of looking at it. I think, again, yeah, that, that definitely boils down to, on, 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 you know, on, on many levels, intangibles rather than direct encore production. And we, yeah, we've, we've spoken about it here several times, how just he seems to just make the team better. And, and that's true. Of course, it's also a pleasure to watch. And he actually has done pretty well. Uh, during his uh, his his brief appearance as a starter, twelve games, uh, about twenty nine minutes, twelve points per game, uh, ten rebounds, two blocks, and has also been a, a very good rim protector as a starter. Uh, on about again, it's only twelve game sample, but that, that's still pretty good. And uh, just uh, I know we're mostly talking about this in qualitative fashion; it's less statistical throughout, but. On uh, on seven rim defenses per game, he's he's allowed only about forty nine percent, which is fantastic. Uh, 
low fifties is good. If you're below 50%, uh, in, in, in terms of rim defenses, uh, to field, you know, field goal percentage, a lot of rim defenses, then you're in great shape. I, I think, though, that that does minimize to a degree what Killian could conceivably offer. Because I, I don't think uh, Stewart's likely to be this kind of like uh, elite in any capacity, except, you know, maybe as a defender. It's a, that, that is an important capacity, don't get me wrong. I, so I, I put that poorly. I don't think he's likely to be a sort of uh, a, a, a notable scorer. And, and that's just, you know, like it or not, the way the NBA is set up right now with offense being so overwhelmingly important, that's a factor. And and Killian could, could conceivably offer more on that end of things. He's no slouch defensively, but so that's why I'd still keep it Killian. But of course, everybody loves Isaiah Stewart. Uh, and uh, I think he'll be important, certainly. Yeah, I think I'll listen. Like, I, I like that we had three different answers because I believe that each argument has, has merit. Um, I think that anybody could contend for any of the three first round rookies and, and Dave, I guess, and they would be, you know, they would be right. And those arguments would be good. Um, I, I loved what you said, Mike, about how, well, I didn't love it if this comes true, but you said, you said that Killian could still very realistically be a bust and none of us want that to happen. But if you look at the games objectively, right, and you look at how everyone's performed, and even if you're not a Pistons fan, looking at it through a Pistons lens and in the context of what we need as a franchise, if you're just a fan of some other NBA team and you've been loosely paying attention to the Pistons season, you know, you might say that Stewart or Bay has been the best rookie and therefore they're the most valuable rookie, right? And so based on what we've seen so far, I, I, I feel pretty I feel pretty empowered to make the claim that I know that Sadiq Bey is going to be a good player. I, I know it for a fact. I know that Isaiah Stewart's going to be, I'm like 99% sure he's going to be a, a plus starter, but I know for a fact he'll be a valuable player. Uh, we don't know that of Killian. We, we don't know that for a fact. I, I, I think there's a chance that what he's shown so far, he doesn't progress past that stage. Now, I don't think that's likely, and I don't hope that happens, but it's a very real possibility that none of us want to acknowledge that, but we might have to if we want to answer this question honestly, whereas Sadiq and Isaiah have shown in NBA games that they're capable of contributing to winning, right? And so the fact that we're even able to have this conversation with equal merit for the three of them, I think that's a good sign. It's it's a fact that we've drafted three players who conceivably could be incredibly important um, and critical when it comes to how the rebuild goes. So that's uh, those are my thoughts on that. Why don't you, uh, what, do you, what do you think, Tommy? Yeah, as long as we're talking about Killian Hayes, I just wanted to bring up one thing. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm happy that he's done a lot better, but he's kind of gotten to where we expected him to start. And the issues that we foresaw coming into the season, coming into his career, honestly, are still there. And I talked to you, Dante, about this before the podcast, like the difference between everybody kept mentioning, why is nobody hitting the shots that killing is getting to them like we've talked at length about how we love his passing vision and it's it is still fantastic but I think the difference between Killian Hayes and LaMelo's ball is passing is that LaMelo puts the ball exactly in the right spot and Killian just gets the ball there like he's not he's not putting it in their shooting pocket a lot of times when they catch the ball it's like off to the side or catching it high or low I think that's going to be something that Killian has to work on if he's going to reach his ceiling and again I'm still not convinced that he's like pure point guard material. I think I still think he might be more valuable as a shooting guard. So it's it's fun to me that 
we have this conversation and that he still definitely, I think, has the high ceiling. I just don't – I still don't have faith that he's going to reach it. Like, he hasn't improved as much. I know he had a good game tonight, but he hasn't taken the steps that I was hoping for. And I'm aware, yeah, he missed 41 games. But just I'm still thinking about, like, who he was when we drafted him and what we saw before that. So, Mike, what are you thinking? I'm not really concerned. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'll be concerned if he's still bad at the end of the next season. Just given the character of his first offseason, uh, where he came from, and, and just terms of the, the quality of the competition, and yeah, the fact that he basically is just starting. <laughs> you know, he had, he had a very short time and a bit, you know, in a, a very kind of strange role before his injury. And now he's just really starting his NBA career. Uh, he's raw. He's got a ways to go. Uh, but of course the bus potential is there and, and he's going to have to bring more things to thanks. Thanks to just this pretty lackluster athleticism. He's going to have to bring more things together than will the average player. But I, I'm not really worried based on what I've seen already. Uh, I'm, you know, it could be a year three player even, you know, we'll see. All right. Why don't we move on to uh, question number three? Okay. This one I have, this one I just thought of, honestly, uh, I don't even know if it's a good question. I, I'm bringing this one up because we all had different answers. And the draft is obviously on everybody's mind. We saw a few years ago the Mavericks traded up from fifth to third, and it cost them a future first. Would you guys be willing to trade? Let's say the Pistons picked – they got received the fourth pick. All right, so that basically – let's say that gives you the choice between Jonathan Kaminga and Jalen Suggs. And like if you like even if you like just loosely know about these guys, you can still answer this question. If somebody offered you the third pick, but it's gonna cost you one of the rookies, which one are you trading? You so you're offering the fourth pick and a rookie. You pick the rookie, but you get to move up to third. Or do you not even make that trade? Uh depends on who's still there at four. I mean, it's not out of the question that Jalen Green will be on the board at four. No, let's say that let's, let's say that it's Jay, you're trading for Jalen Green basically. Let's say the draft order is Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley at two, Jalen Green is there at three, and somebody's offering you the third pick for your fourth pick and one of the rookies. You have to pick who. All right, uh, I hate to do this, but it would have to be <laughs> it have to be Davidis Servitas. You know, uh, he's, he's he's a rookie. And, he broke the game. Yeah, I'm. Uh, you know, he actually he may maybe a decent NBA player. I know. I'm, I I know that this was a joke. You're talking about one of the three of them. I would imagine probably Saban doesn't figure into that question because he just, no, he doesn't call. It's one of it's it's either Isaiah Stewart, Sadiq Bay, or Killian Hayes. Who do you, who do you trade? Uh, I would probably trade Killian to be honest. Uh, if if you really had a shot at getting uh, that that guy who really could be the superstar you need, and you're going to give up a point guard who. Really could bring, as I've said, I think he could be at the lower end of the top 10, maybe borderline all-star, you know, maybe a guy who makes the all-star game once or twice if he brings everything together. Uh, you never know what the odds on that really are. And if, if you think that you can move up to a position where you could really take that elite franchise cornerstone, I think you just have to take that. You have to take that risk also. And, and you just, you know what you're getting in Isaiah Stewart. You know what you're getting in Sadiq Bay, And I think they're both... Uh, at the moment, and in the context of making such a trade, uh, I think that they're the ones I would keep. Yeah, that's. Um, yeah. What about you, Dante? Well, I I don't envy anybody who has to you know give an answer to that because I really do love all three of the rookies, but I kind of tend to side with Mike on this one. 
um, more so because of the fact that, that this is what I previously contended was that we know that Sadiq Bey is a good player. We know that Isaiah Stewart's a good player. We don't know that Killian's going to be um, anything more than what he already is. I think it's likely that he is, but we don't know it for a fact. So if you have a shot at Jalen Green, who, um, not to get too into draft stuff, but I have uh, Cade Cunningham squarely in Tier 1, and then below that I would have Jalen Green in a tier by himself, uh, Tier 2. Um, I think his potential is absolutely sky high. I would rather Cade, but I think Jalen is one of the best consolation prizes you could ever hope for in an NBA draft. If you have a chance to grab him and, you know, it'll cost you uh, Killian Hayes, who we're not sure what he can become. I don't know if I'd make the trade, but if I had to make the trade and it was, it meant that I needed to deal with, with one of those three. um, Yeah, I agree with Mike. I would probably trade Killian as much as it hurts. And there's a possibility we could see him go somewhere else and flourish. But at the end of the day, I I would say that Jalen, playing as he has in the G League is kind of more of a sure bet than Killian is right now based on how he's performed in the NBA thus far. So not a fun question to answer, but if I had to answer it, that's 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 probably how I would respond. What about yeah, you, Yeah, I like this. I like this because it is hard to answer. It's probably easier for me out of all the three of us because I would also pick Killian. It's fun to me that we all had different answers for who we think is the most valuable rookie, but we are all trading Killian in this case. But yeah, I'm I'm giving away Killian. I I still see him as a really good two guard who, or like a combo guard, who just makes use of his vision. And ideally, I think he's shooting pull up threes uh, off the creation from somebody else, which is part of why I think Jalen Suggs wouldn't be the worst fit. But yeah, I think it's Killian Hayes. So that was just that was I just thought of that one. I I didn't know. Uh, how that one would shake out. It's interesting that we all picked the same guy. Mm -hmm. That was a good one. And I think it's funny how we had different answers for who's the most valuable, but we had the same answer for who we would trade. And that kind of goes into, it's like who do NBA GMs value? And then when it comes down to it, you got a gun to your head. Um, We might be enamored with the potential of Killian Hayes, but when it comes down to it, are we really, you know, prepared to deal the rookies who have actually shown that they can contribute to winning? Probably not. doesn't seem like any of us are prepared to do that. So I don't think Troy will be in that position, but if he is, <laughs> I guess we'll no, see. I, what <laughs> I just thought it was a fun question. Fun in a painful way. Yeah, it hurt. Right. It oh, hurt. Dude, if, uh, it wouldn't, if that scenario were to come to pass and that were the opportunity, it would not hurt me one bit to pull the trigger on that. You just you flipped him that quickly. No, I, I, I like him and I think he has that potential, but just the, the, the amount of talent available in this draft, like – it's what if it's Mobley? Uh, it makes it a little more difficult, but uh, you don't know. You, How about this? Uh, it's, it's the day before the draft, so you don't know. It might be Jalen Green there, it might be Mobley. You still make uh, a trade. I'll, I'll, I'll hold this answer in advance until I have done a lot more research on Evan mm-hmm. Mobley. I wouldn't make the trade. Right. <laughs> we, we can revisit this in the summer. I think these are fun. Absolutely, we can. Yep, uh, yep, for sure. We'll revisit it. All right, so from here, let's move on to some user submitted questions. Uh, number one. Uh, make sure you wish the moms a happy Mother's Day. Uh, not really much of a question, more of a request, but uh, sure. Happy Mother's Day uh, to all the moms out there. Happy Mother's Day. Yeah. Uh, number two, uh, is, do you think Dwayne Casey is staying as coach next season? So uh, we really developed, dedicated an enormous amount of time early in the season, almost to the point, well, certainly to the point that we got tired of it, uh, really bashing Dwayne Casey for, for the way he was coaching. Uh, I think we can all agree he's made, you know, really 
uh, the perception of all of us, certainly for me, perception has changed as the season has gone on. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about Casey more at length uh, in our, uh, our our season recap episodes, which will you know be a couple weeks down the line. Uh, I don't know, maybe for Casey, we'll be doing a, several of them, whatever the case. Uh, I would say the answer is is almost certainly. I mean, I would say the only scenario in which he will not be the coach next season is if he decides he wants to retire. Uh, he's, by all indications, done well with this group. They like him. And uh, the Pistons, uh, I, I, I don't think Casey has, has a, a good ceiling as a playoff coach, but this seems to be a uh, position to which he is quite well suited. And I, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be back next season. Totally agree. Yeah, I'd say it's a hundred and ten percent chance that Casey returns, and it's not. It's not just you, Mike. My opinion on Casey is not quite done a one hundred and eighty, but it has improved so drastically um, over the back half of this year. Uh, whereas we we really questioned him before, and we were incredibly harsh and incredibly critical. I think he's shown him and Weaver both that there was kind of a long term plan in play, and based on how uh, specifically Sadiq and Isaiah have performed, I think the kind of bring them along slowly has, has started to work. Uh, not started to work, it has worked uh, for, for at least those two guys. And as far as, you know, our standing in the lottery odds are concerned, I, I never see us beating out Houston, so we're about as good as we're going to get there. And yeah, I, 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 I do like Casey as a coach now. And honestly, based on how much my opinion has improved, I don't know if I'd be ready to part ways with Casey um, in the absence of him, you know, retiring or not. I don't know if I'd want him to be fired unless, you know, some situation presents itself down the line, which it may, where we're kind of teetering on the edge of success, whether it's making the playoffs or advancing in the playoffs. And we just kind of can't seem to get over that hump. Maybe then it's time to part ways with Casey. But for the role that he's taking right now, I'd say he's maybe not the perfect coach, but, but he's an optimal coach for sure. Definitely getting these guys to buy in and just play for each. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned bringing the the young guys along slowly, especially like Sadiq and uh, Isaiah. That has been huge. But more than that, I think getting these guys to play for each other, that is not something you see from a team that has this record and this many young guys. Because I've watched a lot of crappy basketball in the past few months uh, as I've kind of like watched these close games for the other tanking teams. I just want to see how they play out. Watching the Wolves two months ago was torture. They were su- – that was like the ugliest offense under uh, Saunders. And, my goodness, we just – that's one of the underrated things, I think, about this season. Uh, I know we're not big fans of Casey's offense in the past. It looks a lot better this year. And maybe it's because there's less talent or like less – of a 1A guy to rely on. I know Casey likes to, you know, go to his guy down the stretch and maybe he's like been forced to play through everybody and that's good, but it just makes for much prettier basketball. And I think it's another one of those things, just setting a culture of like working with your teammates and being greater than the sum of your parts. Uh, I've loved that. So very happy with the job that Casey's done. I see absolutely no reason to think that that's going to change significantly next year, unless we get Cade Cunningham or Jalen Green, and uh, they just run everything through him. And then even then, I wouldn't be too upset about that because then we have Cade Cunningham and Jalen Green. Mm, for sure. No, that was a good question. Yeah. Uh, all right, number two. Uh, any potential pieces from upcoming free agency classes, not necessarily 2021, maybe 2022? Uh, I think that's a really hard question to answer at the moment just uh, because a lot of it will 
depend upon how the Pistons look next season. That will depend in part upon the draft, but also upon uh, the development trajectories of certain players. The Pistons will have a lot of cap space starting at uh, the end of next season. Whether they will use it immediately uh, just depends upon where the team is, who is available. So I, I think that's a really it's a question that I would have difficulty answering at this point. Uh, that's a, it, it's also that uh, I you know we got these uh, questions not so long before recording, and uh, this, this is really one I'd, I'd like to research <laughs> before I give any answers. So uh, well, I think unless you guys have objections, we'll save this for a future episode. Mm. Yeah, it's a context-heavy question, right? Yeah. Context surrounding how is the team performing? How have the rookies progressed? Um, how has everybody progressed on the team, really? What trades have we made? You know, who's available, who you might not have thought would have been available? And so, yeah, it might seem like a cop-out, but until we're closer um, to the actual free agency periods that, that we're referencing, whether it's this upcoming free agency or the next one, um, we can't really give an honest assessment. So that's, that's one I'm definitely interested in revisiting, though. Um, and it's a good question, and, and I'm sure we'll cover it at a later date. Yeah, there's just too many moving parts. Just move, too many moving parts there. And looking at, uh, what is it, Jeremy Grant's contract and Mason Plumlee's, I think that they had that target of, what, two years from now, you said, as to go all in and maybe assess what they have and see if it's worth continuing. And I'm encouraged by the thought of that. I don't think they're going to try to go in and spend all their money as soon as they get it. I think they have a plan here. But, yeah, definitely got to look at even the list of free agents, like, in a year and two years from now? That's just a loaded question. Well, it's a good in 2K, question. I always sign. Yeah. I just signed Kevin Durant, so we could do that. We could do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's I could. I mean, I, I could de- dedicate an entire episode to all the time I've spent playing franchise mode in NBA 2K13. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know why more teams don't just sign Kevin Durant. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not sure. It always works for yeah, me. Sure. Why not sign LeBron James? I, I was always able to sign LeBron James uh, as, as the He's Pistons. too old. He doesn't fit the timeline. Or trade for James Harden with six second-round picks. You could do that as well. Interesting. Uh, all right. So uh, next, uh, who do you think uh, are the upcoming free agents uh, whom the Pistons should or should not re-sign? So uh, the guys who are uh, who are up for extension next season are Dennis Smith Jr., Wade Ellington, Hamadou Diallo, uh, and then uh, Saban Lee and Frank Jackson are both two-way players, the Pistons. Uh, will be able to match any offers sent their way. And then you've got Tyler Cook, who was signed to a multi-year deal, but uh, anything past the season is fully non-guaranteed, so we'll include him on this list as well, which will make it kind of extensive. So, yeah, let's just uh, run down the list, I suppose. Uh, Tommy, what do you say about Dennis Smith Jr.? I don't think he's sticking around. He hasn't even been in the rotation for the past, what, few weeks? Uh, I don't have... Well, high hopes for him. I don't really think he has a role on this team either with Killian Hayes, Saban Lee, and potentially another guard in this draft. Uh, Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green, Cade Cunningham, they all have some degree of ball handling ability. Just no need to keep him around. Well, he has been injured. It should be noted, like legitimately injured. But Yeah, that's fair. But even then, he didn't look good beforehand. Yeah. Man, Dante. Dennis Smith's my guy, man. <laughs> I like Dennis Smith so much. I kind of... I feel like you could probably get him for super, super, super cheap. And um, I, I understand that we might be potentially adding a guard, but if you can sign Dennis Smith and he's not costing you a lot and he's kind of like your third point guard, potentially emergency point guard, I don't mind. I, I think he's got some really good traits. I thought he performed a little better than 
you think he performed, Tommy. Not that he was a leader or anything, but I, I just I like Dennis Smith. I wouldn't mind keeping him around. Um, I don't think the Pistons will prioritize it, but I I would be happy to see him back personally. I like the guy. I got a soft spot for him. So yeah, I I should. I mean, I think it's worth contextualizing Dennis Smith and noting that he's never been a good NBA player. He. He really struggled as a rookie, as as the you know as, as the offensive lead, as the guy who really led the offense. Very inefficient, not a particularly good passer, and and not even great at, at driving the you know driving the basket, which really should have been his one of his strengths, given his just tremendous athleticism. Uh, he his best stretch in his career was in the early stages of his second season when he was playing second fiddle to Luca, which by all accounts he wasn't happy about at all. Uh, even then. You know, just playing next to I mean, Luca was was excellent, even as a rookie. And even then, playing next to him and, and having much less in the way of, of of duties, he didn't do particularly well. And then he really tanked. It was just awful when he went to the to the to the Knicks in the Porzingis trade, and suddenly had more responsibility again. So, DSJ's issues: not a good shooter, not a particularly good passer, and not good at penetrating. So. I mean, he is still very athletic. He is still, uh, you know, he's, he's a pretty good defender. Though his short arms don't help. He, uh, I think he's 6'2 with a 6'4 wingspan. And uh, he's still got potential. And uh, I would keep him as a third-string point guard on a minimum contract. That's it. And I don't think he would stay for that. It really wouldn't behoove Dennis Smith Jr. at all to to, to do that, to, to be shoved pretty far down in the rotation and not really be able to get the the time on the court that might allow him to uh, kind of relaunch his career. If I were him, I wouldn't do it. So uh, I think the Pistons could conceivably offer it to him, but I, I think he'll be gone either way. Oh, and I don't think he was very good with the Pistons either. I mean, this is a guy who had to, to like Plumlee had to handle when, when DSJ was on the court, Plumlee had to handle a lot of the interior playmaking because his Dennis just couldn't penetrate. And, uh, you couple that with the fact that he can't play off ball because he's not a good shooter. And it's just, yeah. So I think he's gone. Uh, all right. Number two is Wayne Ellington. Uh, I'll start here. Uh, it'll depend on who is on the team and what the, what the wing rotation looks like. Wayne is by all accounts, a great guy in the locker room. Uh, and it really just depends. Uh, he, he came to Detroit because he really appreciated the, the opportunity to win Casey had given him uh, two seasons ago when he joined the team in the buyout market. I don't think he'll be quite as sanguine on, on joining a rotation in which there will be hardly any space for him to play. And I don't really want him to play. <laughs> so uh, I'd let him go. I'd keep him, honestly. He's just a cheap shooter. Everybody seems to like him. I wouldn't mind keeping him. But, yeah, I don't – if he expects to have, like, a heavy role and that's what he's opting for. That's any that's role. Casey prop. Yeah. yeah. Well, if Casey off, like promises him that, then I don't want him, but just to have him around. And if we, you know, we, it's like a next man up type thing. I wouldn't mind having him. Oh yeah. That I would do, but uh, I don't think he'll stay anyway for that. But um, yeah. Tommy, you said everybody likes him, but I don't like him. So, I mean, I wouldn't, uh, it seems like a great guy. <laughs> yeah, he seems like a good guy. Don't get me wrong. But if I never see Wayne in a Pistons jersey again, I'll, I'll sleep at night, man. I'm cool with it. Um, I'm just traumatized from the when we want to win games or when we're trying to be competitive, he's ice cold. And then when we're trying to tank, he turns into prime Steph Curry. And it's like, 
okay, Wayne, like I, I've just had enough at this point and, 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 and that's it for me. So I do not want to see him back in any capacity. And I think it's important to note that a big reason, well, Mike touched on it, but a big reason that Wayne's even here is because he knew he would get playing time in Detroit. He knew he would get a, I don't know about a significant role, but a, but a decent role um, throughout the season. And he has when he's been active. And so I don't think there's a world that exists where Wayne Ellington is on this team and Dwayne Casey doesn't play him. So given that reality, I don't want him anywhere near this roster. And that's just, you know, it might seem harsh, but that's that's the truth. I forgot actually somebody on the list, and let's move on to uh, to Dante's other favorite players, Corey Joseph. Uh, <laughs> so he's got a $12.6 million salary next season, and uh, only, I believe, $2.6 million of it is guaranteed. So basically, if the Pistons uh, choose to part ways with him prior to his salary guarantee dates, then just $2.6 million stays in the books. So, uh, yeah, Tommy, I know you like Corey more than either of us do. I don't dislike him. I just don't really see any utility for him next season, especially at that price. Yeah, straight after he got traded, I went to the Sacramento sub, and there was a quote from De'Aaron Fox talking about how Corey Joseph was really, really good for him as a mentor and really helped him adjust to the NBA. And looking at Killian and the confidence issues he's had and seeing them like laughing together on the bench. Yeah. I'm just, maybe I'm just reading into it too much, but I see value in having a guy like that around and he plays really, really hard. And I value that too. Dante, I'm not discounting the fact that, yeah, it's irritating when Corey Joseph was supposed to be a guy who I thought was going to be like another tank commander and he ends up coming here and he's really good. Mm -hmm. And maybe that just speaks to the effectiveness of this rebuild and the culture of this team, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but yeah when we're trying to lose games, it's irritating. Uh, next year, like you said, we're probably not going to be trying to lose games. So if there's a way to keep him cheaply, I wouldn't mind. I don't know the salary cap well enough to know if there's a way to keep him for anything less than that $12 million guaranteed. Maybe, Mike, I don't know if you just know that straight off the top of your head. but uh, No, actually, I, I consider myself pretty well-versed in the CBA, but that I don't know, and I would have to research. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I'm going to no, guess no. that if... I'm going to guess that if the Pistons waive him and he still has guaranteed salary in the books, they're not able to re-sign him. Uh, <laughs> basically, uh, if if there were a situation in which he were able to re-sign with the Pistons, which may just be a, uh, a matter of, oh, you can't do it for X number of days, then based on what's called set-off, uh, money he were, was paid by the Pistons would lessen. No, actually, no, I'm wrong about that, I think. Uh, no, actually, it is the, the money he... Uh, would be paid. Uh, I think he might actually lessen the amount of money he would guaranteed money he would be paid off of uh, off of his previous salary by playing for the Pistons again. But I'm not sure about that, so I really don't want to make any statements. Now, what I will say about Joseph is that if he were being kept strictly as a backup point guard and he did not was not paid 12.6 million dollars, uh, then I'd say you know sure. Yeah, I, I read also. Yeah, De- De'Aaron Fox said he was very important. When teaching him on ball defense, Talia Ray Salaburton said he was like an older brother to him. And that's a, that's a nice player to have around. And uh, he, seems, he seems to be a, a hardworking guy, a culture guy, uh, who, who is good for who's, who's good for the young players and in general for the players around him just by nature. But depending on how the Pistons operate this summer, they could have some cap space left over, which could mean that they could take on, uh, they could use that to take on some contracts for, for additional assets of some kind. And if that's the case, I mean, just the, Keeping him at 12.6 could entail a significant opportunity cost. Now, if they end up close to the cap, uh, just after re-signing 
uh, and we'll talk about Diallo and, and Jackson and, uh, you know, very soon, uh, after signing a first round pick and signing whatever picks they have, other picks they have and, and other guys they resign and they're already over the cap. Then at that point it might become a who cares situation. Uh, in that event, it's like, um, all right, but the trouble is that you're just going to bench him when if Saban Lee is better. So, yeah, I don't really feel able to give a decisive answer either way, which is unusual for me. Yeah, I don't. Um, yeah, I guess it's just cost dependent. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. It's cost dependent. I don't mind Corey as much as maybe it would appear that I do. I, I think it's kind of funny that uh, we traded DeLon and, and, and we received Corey in two seconds. And by all accounts, I'm pretty sure Corey's performing better than DeLon has performed in Sacramento. I haven't checked up on that but given the fact that when we really want to lose games you know uh joseph turns into prime kyrie irving i I would imagine he's playing better than delon but uh i i maybe i understood things the wrong way but i understood the situation as he's either on the hook for 10 million or whatever it was next year or he's not on the team so given that it was kind of like it's a moot point like they're not going to pay Corey joseph 10 million dollars to be Corey joseph um, but if, if the situation, the financial situation is more nuanced than that, I'm ignorant to it, so I don't know. Um, but I, I, I don't really have many strong feelings either way. I think he's a fine player, but I could do without him. Yeah, DeLon has actually started slow, but has actually done pretty well. Uh, whereas Corey Joseph has really overperformed his career baseline in Detroit. I mean, I think at this point he's shooting like 75% the restricted area, which is completely and utterly unsustainable. <laughs> and, uh, and is shooting better from three than anybody has before, and so on and so forth. But uh, yeah, I believe my answer is a not sure. Uh, okay, so uh, moving on. Next uh, is, I, I believe, I mean, honestly, there are a couple of players we could add at the end of the list, uh, which would be Okafor and, and Josh Jackson. We'll, we'll, we'll visit them in a little bit. Uh, next would be uh, probably the most interesting member on this list would be Hamadou Diallo. And, uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on him, Tommy? I'm not sure because sometimes I really like him. The 35-point outburst didn't really sway me. I, I know that sounds crazy, but I, I'm not a huge believer in the idea of him, I don't know, getting, like, a sustainable three-point shot that you can rely on. He was brought in. Like, I, I talked about, like, Weaver had brought in a lot of these athletic guys who, if they just put a, a three-point shot together – they're going to be really good. I'm not sure if I believe in Hamadou's yet. There's no reason to not give him like a contract, but I don't want to overpay him. And even that, like it wouldn't be the biggest deal because we're not looking to spend all our money next summer. And I don't think anybody is anticipating some significant free agent signing. So I don't know. Like, I guess it would just come down to the contract. I don't know what you guys are thinking. I would probably do like, Three for 30 would be really nice because I'm probably a bit lower on him than other people. Yeah, I would I would think three for three for 30 or like four for 36, something like that. Uh, I think that he basically, if he can shoot threes, then because he's excellent at attacking the rim, like excellent, very, very good. And he's, he's great at running the floor in transition. And he has a lot of potential as a defender because he's super athletic and long and strong. Uh, that sounded a little more sexual than I, uh, you know, than I had planned, but, uh, you get the point. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Uh, so if you can, if you can shoot threes off the catch reliably, 
then Cooley's a guy you have to close out on. And if you close out on him, uh, I've said it before, if you close out on him, then he's going to beat you on the closeout. You have to send somebody to help. Uh, and then he's going to, he's got good enough vision. He's a good enough passer. He's going to be able to get it to somebody else. And that somebody else is probably going to get a pretty darn good scoring opportunity on it. And that assumes that the help is quick enough because he's really fast. You know, he's, he's got good burst. He's very agile and he's good at scoring when he gets the basket. So, I mean, yeah, if, uh, you know, even through contact. So if, if somebody even gets there before he can get to the basket, that's what it is. And if somebody gets there, they're not too unlikely to follow him. So that's a valuable player. If he can't shoot, then he becomes at that salary, kind of an overpaid role player. But uh, I think that I would, you know, and, and then the contract is not so good, but uh, I would take the risk anyway, preferably around 9 million a year. And uh, because if, if it pans out, then you've got, you've got a, you know, probably double digit score and good defender on a very good contract. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Mike. I would take the risk too. Um, I'm a big, big believer in Diallo and his upside. Uh, what I do think is that his three-point shot, you know, I, it doesn't appear broken to me. Like he's not a good or even adequate three-point shooter at this stage, but the shot itself looks fine. So I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility for him to improve. But I think it's less important what we think and more important that, and we haven't noted this yet, I think Weaver wants Diallo on this team. You know, when he uh, traded for him, when we traded Sfi, um, I think the the immediate comment from Weaver was that, oh, yeah, we view Hamadou as a core piece moving forward. And, you know, <laughs> Weaver didn't say that about Dennis Smith Jr. He didn't trade Derrick Rose for Dennis Smith and be like, yeah, Dennis is a part of our future. The most we ever got out of that was, yeah, we'll take a good look at Dennis Smith. But Weaver, who has not lied to us yet, he's been very forthright and very honest with his plans with the team. Um, and he hasn't misled us in any way. He straight up said, we view Diallo as a core piece. And so um, I don't really think it's a question of if Diallo sticks around. I, I kind of thought it was understood that he would be sticking around. And the price point is really the only thing that's up for contention. So I, I'm, I'm kind of happy that we didn't see a ton of 35-point uh, outbursts because maybe that'll bring the price down. Uh, but I, I think he's going to be here for sure. That's a good point about Weaver. Clearly from all the signings that Weaver has brought in, he very much values like the personality and the hard work or the, the work ethic rather of these guys. And by all accounts, Hamadou is a very hard worker. So clearly Weaver believes in him getting better. I don't think anybody believes uh, that this is the finished product. If you believe in Hamadou. So uh, I, I think that's, that's a very good point. I'm glad you brought that up Dante. You're welcome. Yeah. So uh, moving on, uh, we did, uh, Frank Jackson is in here. We we actually spoke about Frank West uh, in the last episode. I think uh, we reached the consensus. Uh, actually, Dante, I don't think you were here, so I'll, I'll just give the floor out to you. Tommy and I, I believe, reached the consensus that we give him maybe three years at around $18 million, uh, total. Sure. Yeah, why not? Why not? He's young. Um, he's a good scorer. He, he has really surpassed my expectations. I'm sure all of our expectations. And I like his hair. So, like, why not keep him around? Seriously, uh, yes. he's fine. Frank Shobab. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I would, I, I, I'm in lockstep with you guys. I would keep him around for sure. And that's another one, you know, Weaver hasn't come right out and said um, about Frank Jackson, what he said about Diallo, but that, that, that's one to me based on how he's performed and based on his age, I think he'll be back for sure. And again, it's the price point. That's the question, right? I don't know what really is appropriate and I'll leave that one up to Weaver, but I would like Frank to be back and I expect him to be back. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, 
He's got a small body of work, so I think I think the Pistons could walk him down maybe for three years at a reasonable rate. And if that doesn't work out, you know, that's that's fine. <laughs> it's perfectly fine. No, it wouldn't two, be the two, end of the two, world. Yeah, two years of that for him or Diallo is probably going to be the Pistons, like maybe on the third, maybe on the, uh, on the second year, maybe making the playoffs. Uh, next up would be uh, probably the least, least uh, interesting name on this list, uh, which is Tyler Cook. Uh, I, I think... I think this is a pretty elementary one. Uh, he's got potential, but it's basically probably not going to be more than a bench big and uh, the sort of probably disposable bench big. Depends on if we can shoot, but I think it just depends on who's on the roster next season, really. I think that that's basically all it boils down to. And uh, yeah, I don't know if there are any, do you guys have any different thoughts on the matter? Tommy, do you? Nope. Nope. Yep. Yeah, no, uh, I don't have any strong feelings about Tyler Cook, and probably the organization doesn't have super strong feelings about him. He, he's kind of, yeah, he's all right. He's got a few cool dunks, but he's kind of just there. So I, I wouldn't say he's a priority. Yeah, uh, there's Saban Lee, who's just on a two-way deal right now. I think it's virtually certain he'll be upgraded to a standard NBA contract, probably a three-year minimum. That's that. That's I think that's just that's just pretty much I believe would be a foregone conclusion unless somebody from another team really likes him, which I think is pretty unlikely given the fact right now that he can't shoot. Uh, and yeah, the two we were going to talk about, but uh, we, we've kind of run out of time in this episode, so uh, we're not gonna we're gonna we're gonna leave this for a future episode. Would be uh, Josh Jackson, Julia Okafor. Okafor is not really much of a discussion, uh, and uh, you know he's just not important in this team's future. And and remains really the puzzling signing of the offseason for me as far as, uh, you know, all the guys uh, we were signed. Uh, oh, we forgot Rodney Magruder. He's guaranteed $5 million next season. He's gone. <laughs> I mean, that's... Only, uh, yeah, 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 for sure. He's, he's, he's gone. Yeah, 5.4, actually. Maybe he'll come back on a minimum. Who knows? Uh, it's just he's a disposable piece at this point. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so the, the three we really have to talk about in the future, uh, you know, yeah, Jaleel, who's... Two minute discussion. Josh Jackson, a little bit more, and uh, and also Seku. I know a lot of people who have uh, have certainly asked about that. Uh, all right, so uh, yeah, we did have some user submitted questions, uh, which we did not have time to visit. Uh, we will definitely look at those in the future. Thanks again for submitting those. So that'll be it for this week's episode. Uh, as always, uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you all for your input uh, and and for the questions you've submitted and. Uh, and for listening. We will catch you in the next episode.